Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another episode. This week I'm joined by Nick Gar. Nick is an actor, director, and choreographer. I want to hear more about that. His most recent project is a YouTube series called Nurses Station. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you. I mean, I tell you, one of the things that make this extremely fun for me is that I listen to your podcast. <laughs> so for you to actually invite me on it is extra cool. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I'm excited about this series. I think people are going to really want to hear this. So you guys stick around for the Good Nurse segment. We're going to talk all about Nick's show, Nurses Station. And I think you guys are going to really like it because he really tackles some topics that are kind of near and dear to our hearts. So yeah, we'll chat about that that portion. Yeah, (laughs) to chat about all about it. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house, and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house, so it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I guess we can get started though with this, with our bad nurse portion, which for this week, we're going to be talking about a dentist. Mm. So mm-hmm. we yeah. already like dentists, den- are healthcare dentists professionals. already are I know. In, I know. in the doghouse. <laughs> They're an easy target, aren't yeah. they? I mean, we, I, they get a bad rap. I, we obviously, uh, dentists are so important. And I've said for so long, they should be, uh, dentistry should be covered under healthcare insurance. It's ridiculous that yeah. it's not. It's so crazy. Our health, overall health is so tied to the health of our teeth. And so many healthcare issues can arise from, from, you know, poor dental hygiene. So it drives me crazy, really, that somehow it's separated out. But it's one of those another illogical healthcare issues with insurance. It's just nuts. Yep. Yes, I agree. So this is the story of a dentist by the name of Lawrence Rudolph and his wife, Bianca Finizio. They first crossed paths at the University of Pittsburgh. Lawrence was diligently pursuing his dental degree, and Bianca was an undergraduate. In 1982, they got married, and Lawrence began his own dental practice. So for a brief period, Bianca worked at the dental office, but then as the couple expanded their family and started to have children, her involvement in the dental practice decreased. So by 2006, life had kind of thrown a curveball to Lawrence, and that led to him uh, becoming disabled. And so he sort of uh, cut ties with his 
original business partners and created a new business called Three Rivers Dental. His LinkedIn profile shows show him as the owner of Three Rivers Dental Group, chief communications officer for Safari Club International, and that's going to end up being pretty important for our story. And then former president of that organization as well, and president of Weatherby Foundation International. The Rudolphs shared a passion for hunting, and they frequently would uh, travel and go on these extended African hunting safaris. So for Bianca, this was sort of a new adventure. She's is not something that she was into before, but under his influence, she soon became an accomplished and internationally recognized hunter. So I have had people say before that I should do a trigger warning if it involves animals. And I don't want to say that there's anything particularly gruesome, just in, in the fact of even talking about, you can right. imagine you know, she, that they're hunters. Very strong they, feelings about did. hunters and trophy hunting and all. Exactly. So just to kind of give you a little warning there. So on a seemingly ordinary morning on the 11th of October in 2016, they were wrapping up their hunting escapade in Kafu National Park in Zambia and disaster struck. Bianca was fatally shot with a Browning shotgun. I always feel kind of silly, Nick, even saying anything like specific about guns because I know so much little. I'm just like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds bad. I have a certain respect for guns. My my father was a, a police officer in New York City, and so I was around firearms just all the time anyway. I mean, he had them, his service revolver and off-duty guns and things, and I would handle, I mean, under his supervision, would handle them, and we'd go to the range, and I was, you know, fire them, so I was familiar with them. And so I had a, a definite respect for guns without having a, some people have a revulsion to guns. I never had that. I had a healthy respect for guns because they were dangerous if mishandled. So I know right away this story for some people is going to be very, you know, a little off-putting. Sure. But I, I try to put that aside in terms of about this gentleman who's mm-hmm. been arrested. So I try not to let those feelings sway the other feelings. Yeah, it's important for us to do that. And he, he claimed, Lawrence claimed it was a tragic accident. Zambian police uh, officers performed an investigation, which involved interviewing, of course, the husband, Lawrence. The complaint says that he told police he was in the bathroom of their cabin and Bianca Rudolph was in the bedroom area where Lawrence, when Lawrence heard a gunshot. He came out of the bathroom, this is his story, to find Bianca lying on the floor bleeding from her chest. He tried to resuscitate her, but was unsuccessful. He told the Zambian police he suspected the shotgun had been left loaded from the hunt the previous day and that the discharge occurred while she was trying to pack the shotgun into its case. So I actually have cared for people. I worked at a level one trauma center for years in the ICU and in a a step down PCU as well. And I took care of actually so many gunshot wounds that I don't even know how many. One in particular is very vivid to me where I think I can say this safely without, I don't, this is, unfortunately this happens so frequently that there's no way anyone's going to know who this is, but a husband accidentally shot his wife. And it's so tragic and horrible. This does happen. There are accidents that happen because people literally 
don't they just really genuinely thought that, that they the get careless because they do it so often that they kind of drop their guard a bit and they think they did something that they didn't do i mean i know i had same again as i said my dad handled firearms that was part of his job and yeah it would be very easy to do i think mm. yes my husband's brother when they were younger like i want to say they were at least in their early 20s but maybe even teenager but they his brother was cleaning his gun it was a rifle i think and it went off and went through yeah. the wall of his oh, bedroom yeah. every time i think about it it gives me chills to just think there was nobody on the other side but what if there had been and this was an experienced gun owner right yes someone who very right, experienced yeah. very responsible uh, same, yes. yeah a similar thing happened again my dad would be working on his cleaning out his weapons which you're supposed to maintain and one one time discharged a, a shot I'm like, and this was someone who knew what he was doing too. So sometimes it's weird things, you get distracted, you think, oh, I've done this a million times, eh. mm -hmm. and, and you overlook an important step. And, and that's when things can happen. I mean, that happens even in, you know, in, in our profession. When it comes to our profession, whenever I'm precepting a new nurse or anyone, you know, training them in the hospital... I'm always saying you you don't you can't ever make assumptions right. and it's so easy sometimes it's really easy wow. most, yes sometimes the most experienced nurses make mistakes like this that you would think they would never make because they are so experienced but it's because we do get so comfortable you know you know to borrow a line doing. from nurses station that I wrote in there because this happens is that you know the people who think the, the ones who are most likely to make mistakes are the ones who think they're above making them Ooh, yes. And, and, Very good. And yeah, because that's an absolute thing. It's so simple to get into a, a you know, a kind of a, a, a groove with things that you do some things just automatically without really thinking every single step through. And it's possible to, to overlook something really important without even realizing because we get distracted. I mean, it's not impossible. Yes. And that's why the most important thing when it comes to handling a gun, not that I have a lot of experience handling a gun, but I can imagine that the most important step is to assume that the gun is loaded at all times, right. no matter how sure you are that it is unloaded. You should always assume and handle it as though not pointing it at anyone, not obviously just firing the trigger for no reason, just being absolutely careful with it at all times, no matter what. It's I mean, you know, again, to go back to our profession, that's why we have, you know, sign-offs and, yes. and and witnesses and all that because it is so easy. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sound like we're going, we're starting down the road of exonerating any anything or any anyone. No, I just, mm -hmm. I like to give everything a fair shot, you know, yeah. a, a chance. So that's why I'm keeping open an open mind. Yes, absolutely. Well, there was at the time that this happened a professional hunting guide that was in the dining hall when this all happened and he heard the gunshot he rushed in there with the others he found uh, bianca he in his words laying on the floor bleeding from the chest and lawrence was shouting for help and he did recognize that lawrence was trying to stop the bleeding but was not able to the guide recalled seeing the shotgun and expended and an expended shotgun <coughs> shell on the ground the shotgun was inside a partially zipped gun case. So Zambian police determined, according to the complaint, that findings further suggested that the firearm was loaded from the previous hunting activities and the normal safety precautions at the time of packing the firearm were not taken into consideration, causing the firearm to accidentally fire. 
And that was their determination. They did determine it was an accident. There's a story that, that he says where this guide claims that the doctor, he was in hysterics and he claimed that he thought his wife had committed suicide and then later on changed it back. If he was genuinely distraught, I mean, he could say anything. He's just picking things out of the air as to what he thought yeah. happened. And who knows what your initial reaction is going yeah, to be. I mean, your thoughts are probably all over I the place. I mean, he sound, according to the story also, and, and I got this from a, a CBS article that, that that's dated just this, that's just this year, July 2nd, which is an updated article from an earlier time. And he says that the, the guy was wanted to commit suicide. He ran to the nearby lake, wanted to drown himself. Again, I, it doesn't really, I don't think, conclusively say anything, but... I think, well, let's talk more about it, and then we'll, then we'll talk about all the, all the possibilities. Apparently, he called the U.S. Embassy. Remember, they are in another country. So he called the U.S. Embassy in Zambia and discussed cremating Bianca and leaving the country. To me, that's the first red flag. The consular chief said that he had a bad feeling about the situation, which he thought was moving too quickly. So he traveled to the funeral home to photograph the body and preserve evidence. He used a scale to measure the primary wound to her chest, described as being, quote, straight to the heart. He was a former Marine, and he believed that the distance between the muzzle of the shotgun and Bianca's chest when the shotgun was fired was about six and a half to eight feet and wasn't a contact wound. So in other words, like he felt like the gun, the end of the gun and her chest, that there was like six and a half to eight feet in distance when it was fired. So that, in other words, it wasn't right up on her, which if she accidentally pulled the trigger as she, it would have had been, obviously would have been a lot closer if she's the one pulling the trigger or it accidentally firing in the, in that, in that case. Well, you know, there's a lot of things about, I'm not a gun expert at all. So just bear that in mind, but I don't know if this gun, I, I mean, could it have gone off without her? If something, if all things were in line, I don't know if the if the hammer was cocked or whatever it is. I don't know how this gun is is you know exactly works, but mm-hmm. I don't know if one could actually a shotgun barrel be able to reach a, a trigger really to do mm-hmm. that in any yeah. in any case. But if this were, this makes me just ask questions. Like I think I think the doctor, if this was a a story that anyone would concoct, they kind of would have thought of that. You know, if it was, if they were to say that, I, I, listen, I try to think, you know, if, what would I do in a situation like that? You know, like a little Sherlock Holmes, he puts himself in the situation and figures Mm -hmm. it out. Would I say the person pulled the trigger themselves if I knew the she wouldn't be able to reach the the trigger? I mean, he knows the guns. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does seem unreasonable. Is, it yeah. doesn't seem like a good plan yeah. if that is I, I the mean, plan. I mean, a really bad one if that's if this was mm-hmm. a, a, a if this is a premeditated thing. Yeah, that just it's seems not a very that's not a really yeah. good one, and he's not a not a very well thought out. He's not a dummy. Out. I mean, right? I, I just mm, it just makes me go. Hmm, I don't know. Yeah, well, according to the consular, the Lawrence was livid that he had taken photographs and that he was, I guess. Well, wouldn't you be? I mean, if someone took pictures mm-hmm. of your, let's just say, yes. even if everything, right, if everything was normal, yeah. wouldn't I? Or would just be. like, 
I'm trying to agree. Yes, yeah, exactly. I would be. I would be. And I know that they talk about, well, I don't think this is likely because she was a staunch Catholic and, and they wouldn't do that. Listen, even in the nursing profession, how many times have we seen a written out notarized DNR overturned mm. by a family yeah. member, right? Yep. We all know that when we're taking any medication or supplement, dosage matters, and it's important to take enough to get the desired result. For example, only taking a 10 milligram Tylenol might not help with your headache. Well, the same is true for CBD. If you try a low dose CBD product, you may not feel anything, but it's not the CBD's fault. The dosage is the problem. This is why CBD Stat only makes high dose CBD products that actually work. And now their products are getting even stronger. CBD Stat is happy to announce that they're launching a new extra strength version of its highly popular topical products that have 7,500 milligrams of CBD. This new strength will by far maintain CBD Stat's status as the most powerful CBD product line on the market. More CBD means it's more effective in helping everyone tackle daily aches and pains. CBD Stat sent me a box of these new products and I already knew it was going to work because I've been using it for my neck pain and foot pain, but I can definitely tell a difference in this new strength and I'm really excited to get to tell you guys about it. And on top of these new higher strength products, they're also dropping prices across the board on all their products to make CBD Stat not only the most effective on the market, but also the most affordable. And don't forget, all you healthcare workers out there, get a special additional discount to help keep you strong. Just head to cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare and find your new secret weapon. That's cbdstat.care forward slash healthcare. Apparently he told the, the consular chief that he had been married before and his children were from that marriage and were not from that, that his children were not Bianca's biological children. And I have to think the only reason he would do that would be that he was basically saying there wouldn't be anyone else to make this decision. I can make this decision myself. Otherwise, why would that be important? He told the chief that he was in the shower when he heard the discharge. He said, he said, as you said earlier, that she may have been trying to take her own life by shooting herself. She was five foot four and the FBI used volunteers to replicate the shooting and none of the subjects pointed the muzzle at themselves. I don't know what like, that means. I don't know. I'm like, I mean, if, are they, if you're saying, okay, here. they weren't able to, I think it's that if in this particular, there was no way a, a five foot four person maybe would be able to have the muzzle completely. Well, unless this wasn't premeditated, unless he did assume making the assumption oh, well, that he actually did it. If he did it off the cuff and he said, well, I'm going to, mm -hmm. I'm going to do something about this right now and just not, and not yeah. think it through. I mean, maybe, yeah. Maybe, but otherwise, if there any thought went into it, I can't see, I can't see him claiming that that the person shot mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah, the Colorado medical examiner determined the that it would be physically impossible to accidentally fire that shotgun in its carrying case and produce the entrance effect noted on the body of Miss Rudolph. The tip of the carrying case was most likely at least two feet from. Miss Rudolph, when the weapon was discharged, regardless if it was on cylinder or full choke settings. I don't even know what that means. Right. So uh, we, but, there's a lot of information that we don't know in terms of how this yeah. gun operates, which could be really important. I, I mean, I mm -hmm. don't know. Maybe. And, and they said it would be extremely difficult, if not impossible, for her to reach the trigger of this weapon, even if it was placed in the case with the muzzle pressed against her chest. In other words, even if she was trying as hard as she possibly could to get it turned around while still in the case. So you, you're going to have to 
if it's still in the case, you kind of have to say there's, she didn't do it on purpose. It's not, it, it wasn't that she was trying to, because why would she ha- still have it in the case? Right. Well, that's what he says. I mean, ultimately is that it's, an, it was an accident. Yeah. So if it's an accident, they're just saying it's, it's almost impossible that it would have been an accident. And there is some more information that kind of comes out. So there was a friend that was deeply concerned for Bianca. She expressed suspicions about the nature of her death and recounted incidents of Lawrence's verbal abuse and the couple's financial disputes. The friend wasn't alone in her suspicions. Further investigations revealed Lawrence's longstanding relationship with a Three Rivers dental manager spanning 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. The girl, yeah, so he had a girlfriend, right. a long-term girlfriend right. who worked there as a manager of that dental office. And she had given him, apparently, an ultimatum to sell the dental offices and leave Bianca. By 2017, she was living with Lawrence, and they even made a hefty $3.5 million cash offer for a new home. Again, none of that, you know, proves anything just because some, and I've said this before, just because someone does, you know, something, it's just because they cheat on their wife or their husband, or just because, you know, they steal, or that doesn't mean they're a murderer. That doesn't prove they're, you know. See, I think if we, if we go from the whole, I, you know, everything has to be first, there has to be, you have to be innocent, proven guilty is what I'm trying to say. Right. Mm-hmm. If we if we really go by that first, there's a lot of questions that I certainly start to have. Mm-hmm. One of which, so one, one of mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry. One of which for me is okay. So the insurance company pays out over four million dollars to him. Now, I don't see an insurance company making that so easy. I think the insurance company certainly before they pay out that kind of money are going to do their own investigation. We don't hear about this. So obviously, their, their investigators concurred with the Zambia's officials that, that it was an accident. Mm-hmm. They had to have. Otherwise, I don't see the insurance company making this initial payment of $4 million to him. So other people, right. other people had, other third-party people had to agree that based on what they saw and the evidence that was presented, they had to agree that this was an accident because it was certainly in the best interest of the insurance company that it wasn't an oh, accident, yeah. right? They don't want to pay that they out. Don't so, they're gonna, that. so they're going to look and they're really going to, I would think they would yeah. really do They'll do their own investigation. So 100%. I don't know what investigation, we don't know what the report is on their investigation. We never hear about mm-hmm. that, but you, sh- you bet you bet that they did one and they and yeah. that, and that was their conclusion as well. If, if it was at all possible to not pay that money out, they I were mean, not going right? to pay the money out. Right? Yeah. So not only do you have law, inf- you have three, uh, let me see, you have three in law, inf- well, I guess two law enforcement and one private investigation going on. You've got the one overseas, you've got the one, the federal one here, and you have one for the insurance company. And at the moment, all three agree that it's an accident. Suddenly, suddenly, five years later, they change their mind. Hmm. It's all the same evidence. It's not like new evidence is popping up. It's the same evidence that they're interpreting differently. They still have the measurements. They still have, yeah, she was cremated. Yeah, this, this was supposedly not, not, didn't have any, any, any bullet in the chambers or anything. And everyone at the time agrees so much so that they pay out this $4 million. But now later on, it's overturned. 
One of the things that I know happened, and I don't even, I don't know, I'm not sure it was included in the trial, but one thing, there was a witness at a, like, in a public setting at a restaurant that overheard him say to his girlfriend, I killed my wife for you. So, oh, really? Where did that, where was that? Where did you read that? that? It was in one of the articles. So the thing is that it's, oh my goodness, that, that's, that's and, and to me, that's kind of one of those things where you're just like, if that actually happened, but then it's also. I would want to know who said that. Yeah, exactly. Right? No, I mean, this is <laughs> right. really important. It's like, oh, it, no, it's, like it's like, again, I'm going to go back to our profession. If we state, if we state a study, right? Mm -hmm. People want to know, well, who did the study and what were the controls and what was yes. all, right? So it's the same. I think we have to use the same kind of rationale in a case like this. I, want, I would want to know who said that. Mm -hmm. what was their relation? Why would they say it? And why did it take, didn't this person come forward? Didn't they find this person, you know, earlier on? When did he supposedly say this? Like years later? I mean. Yeah. And I think the, if you really kind of like, if, if you think about it just practically, I, I listen to the prosecutor's podcast all the time and they talk about Occam's razor. And that's sort of like, you just look at the situation what makes the most sense? And in this particular case, if you have a husband who who has been in an affair for a long time, it's kind of everybody kind of know. There's lots of people that know about the affair. It's been going on for so long, right? And supposedly the wife there, knew about it too. Yeah, and there are people who even know that it was building toward this ultimatum where he was, she was expecting. She was tired of his girlfriend's tired of living in the situation. She's tired of being the other woman, wants to right. be the primary person. And so he's feeling this pressure. And then you have a setting where they're in another country and the, an accident happens it, where it does sound fishy. For, for it real. does sound fishy. And when and when the examiner looks at it, two different examiners, two different investigators, the consular that was there and also the the examiner back in Colorado, they looked at it and said, it, it is almost impossible for this to have been an accident. And then you couple that with the fact that he is calling the embassy, trying to get her cremated before they leave the country. It, it I guess, and, and you know, he's standing to get all this money from, if you put all that together, he is either horribly unlucky I mean, so incredibly unlucky that all those things happen to line up like that. Or I agree. I mean, wife. I agree. But then the kind, I, then what pops into my mind is exactly what, what I was thinking earlier. Is okay. We have three people, three agencies looking at this: the one overseas, the one, the federal one here, and the insurance company. And he's not even arrested for another. Four or five years after that. Yeah. And that's not that uncommon, really, because they don't want to, once they arrest someone, the time, the clock starts ticking and they have to, so they- I guess that's you know, true. Trying to, but why would know, the insurance company case. pay out if there was still a doubt? I know. That that one right there is very, you're just like- They must have thought, hmm. they must have thought- hmm. Well, they they and they, they had a lot they, to lose. I mean, four, over $4 million is yeah, a lot. But they can't just- arbitrarily make the decision to not pay it out based on, you know, they do have to have hard facts. They have to have, But you if know, their hard facts are, they're going to, is going to point to a criminal 
act, right? That's something that they would turn over to the authorities too, wouldn't you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets them off the hook. I mean, it's in their interest mm-hmm. to 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 show yeah. any evidence that that proves him guilty. It's in their interest it to do does, that. It does seem as though a lot of this... So uh, basically this whole case comes down to this the science of whether or not it was possible for, for her to accidentally shoot herself with that gun. So I think that because he, he was convicted and he was sentenced to life in prison and he maintained his innocence, but the jury had to have put a lot of weight on that, quote, scientific evidence that it was really close to impossible for her to have done this to her, you know, to her. and then also just that circumstantial evidence of all of the other things. Is that a reasonable doubt? I don't know. Twelve people thought it was. I mean, th- thought there was, you know, beyond it was beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, we weren't there at the trial and we, we don't, we didn't hear both sides. We didn't hear all the evidence. We're hearing some stuff mm-hmm. now. And, mm-hmm. and again, the thing that I find interesting is that this is not evidence that just surf that, you know, came up in pieces. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was all evidence that was there from the get go. So if there was right. any, if there was any doubt about that, I don't know. Well, I guess it could go on that long. I'm not sure how that, you know, that the, the, the court systems could be strange, but I don't understand why the insurance company would pay out that kind of money if they really felt they had no way of challenging it. And a shocking twist, his girlfriend, Lori Milleron, was convicted also on multiple charges, including being an accessory to murder. And she was sentenced to 17 years in prison. I mean, that's kind of shocking too. She wasn't even in the country. Well, I mean, you know, you come an accessory after the fact that that that's part of the way that the, I think the law works. I'm not a lawyer or, or anything, but I, that I think is a true thing. Yeah, I, 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 have I was a little surprised. I, I do have questions I think, about it. Yeah, and I think that you know sometimes our criminal justice system can be funny because you do you do you have twelve human beings, these twelve people with feelings and emotions and life experiences that can whether you know I know that I think most people want to keep they want to stay unbiased mm-hmm. and they want to believe that they're really trying to make the best decision, but you can't just remove all of that stuff from you, and so you have a a man who has obviously, you know, cheated on his wife and he's benefiting from millions of dollars of this payout. And, and, and so he, he's not going to be a very likable person. People are not, if it didn't even kill his, if, if he didn't do it, he's not likable. And it oh, makes me behind, wonder, did that, yeah, you know, he's did at that, a disadvantage right, right, yeah. right off the bat. He's a dentist. Number one. I know he's a dentist. Poor thing. Poor I mean, thing. that okay. right there. He's, just, he's also they all, a hunter for trophies, like, which a lot of people exactly. you know, have a thing. Yes. I mean, people like what yes. they like. So I, I, you know, I'm not going to judge that. My wife likes mint chocolate chip ice cream. To me, it's like frozen toothpaste. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah. to each his own. I don't know. I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm trying not to make my feelings about those kinds of things influence what I, mm-hmm. you know, my same re- way of thinking of whether this person could be guilty or not. There's a lot of things that certainly are working against him. No question about that. But this sounds like there's more to the story too, because again, I don't understand how the insurance company, if it was so obvious and, and, and any person would look at it and go, you know, the forensics people would go, nah, that couldn't happen. That, that, that wasn't something that both the insurance company's investigators would have come to that conclusion or the investigators here or there would have come to that conclusion sooner. If it was that obvious where 
You would think. The gun, she couldn't press it. She couldn't, it couldn't go off by itself. I mean, these are people who deal with firearms all the time. Mm-hmm. And they would go, no, just like when we see something, yeah. right? In, in, in our profession, we go, yeah, sure. You only that, uh, that medicine that begins with the D takes care of your pain. You know, we sort of are, are used to seeing certain signs of what, what is believable and what isn't. Right. Well, I, I kind of agree with, with you on that. I think that it is pretty shocking that if there was, if there was a, a scientist anywhere on, on this planet that would have said to, you know, to the insurance company, there's a hundred, it's a hundred percent, there is no possible way that she did this herself. Then that would give them reason then to deny the claim, right? Uh, I guess. And that's just one agency that would be doing that, that, line of thinking. I mean, wouldn't you? Well, the problem too, though, Nick, is that even if they said that, even if they said, well, we we can prove that she didn't do this to herself, that doesn't prove that he did it. And so even if if somehow someone else killed her, maybe the the person, what, the other person in the other room did it. You, well, how many people you, were in the room? It was just... Well, she, in, the, in the dining hall, the, the, the guide... That they were all in the same. I thought this happened in their room. But there was somebody in the. Apparently, there was a dining hall, and he heard the gunshot. Right. So okay. if he's close enough to hear the gunshot, he could have. I mean, someone else could have done it. I guess. In if you think mm, about this. But okay, the two questions that I would ask, based on the interview that that CBS dot com has, because there's a clip mm-hmm. of of his interview, he says mm-hmm. he got there in 15 seconds. The the guy the guy or the he heard the, the gunshot and he ran there and he was there within fifteen seconds is what yes. he says you know right people's perception of time who knows you know it could have been longer I I someone would have to do that stick it in the bag and then escape all in that short amount of time but if seems- he was the one that did it if the guide was the one that did it I'm no in no wow, way yeah. assuming but okay. if there was some weird situation in which he was the one that killed her and made and then made it seem as though then the question um, would be the, why? Like, what would be the motive of that? Oh, sure. But but as far as the insurance company goes, they cannot prove, even if they can't prove that she accidentally, they cannot prove that the he, husband he did, did it. it. Right. And that's the only thing that matters because whether she was murdered by someone right. else or killed herself, he, he will still get the payout unless he's the one that actually was responsible for her death yeah. and that they could not prove. So maybe that well, that's their thinking. I, I don't know. All I know is that, that I don't know. that's what raises the question for me is how mm-hmm. three different agencies, at least, at least the insurance company, they paid out. I don't know what at what point they paid out. Like how much time went by before they 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 paid out. But they didn't go back on. And I think the foreign country where they were, they decided that it was an accident as well. That was their conclusion. And apparent. And I guess. You know, they kept the ongoing investigation here, but the evidence is the same evidence that mm-hmm. I don't know what was the delay of that. That seems kind of interesting. I agree. It de- definitely some, it, it definitely is not I mean, it's like someone six years case. before he was, mm-hmm. re- re- that they felt they had a case. Not exactly swift justice, and, for no, sure. I mean, it's the same. Yeah. I, I mean, they obviously they felt that they had strong enough to indict him, clearly, but it's why it's the same yeah. evidence. It's the same. And 12 people you know, looked at, looked at him and looked at all the evidence and said, nope, he did it. He's guilty. 
again, I, but we didn't hear any of those stories. We saw none of the mm -hmm. none of the the experts' testimony or, mm -hmm. or any of that. But how many times have people, even on death row, you know, something we find out that that was an error because of one particular technicality or however? Because, well, because so many times, someone's life, the person sitting there, you know, the defendant, their life is literally counting on the ability of their attorney to go up against the prosecutor. And really it's a, it's a showmanship yeah, thing. Could be. It comes down to that so often in our criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. I wish it didn't, but really it does. It's who, who, who's got the best story. And the, the jurors are sitting there taking it all in. Try, they're not lawyers. They're not, you know, they're not attorneys right. most of the time. Right. And so they're just trying, they're just. I wonder if there are any dentists citizens. on that jury. Right. I wonder. I don't know. Hey, listen, he could be guilty. I, I, I don't know. I just know that there's something I raise questions as to the mm -hmm. time frame. And I think that's healthy. I think it's absolutely healthy to raise those questions. And I, I think, yeah. I mean, it's in, it, it's in the, it's in the insurance company's best interest to, to, to find a problem. I mean, you know, you can go really go off on a tangent as to, as to, mm -hmm. as to create a, you know, a story as to what could have happened and why this yeah, turned around and, you know, was the insurance company getting to these people and offering them money to change their stories or tweak them somehow? I don't know. Mm. I mean, you can get really go off, you know. On the conspiracy you theories, really I know. Could, you <laughs> I know. can run with this one. What? I know. In my mind, it's really bad to do that anyway. I'm just like, what if this happened and that happened? I'm terrible. So no, no, no. I, I agree. And it's. I think at the end of the day, it's kind of unsettling to think that there could be an innocent person who was who's spent which there are let's face it there are innocent there people are, yeah, that are in prison yeah yeah i mean there just know, are you know our system is not perfect no it's, it's the not, best we've got it's not but. perfect and certainly i think people you know even they, it's been proven that even eyewitness testimony sometimes is a little wonky because it's horrible yeah it's know. not even it's like the worst yeah eyewitness and in scientific as well all this junk science that's out there and they find they, they come up with some sort of new process and they're just like hey you know, handwriting analysis. This is the new thing. Look, we can tell whether, and then years later, that's junk science. Maybe, nope, yeah, right. Yeah. It's crazy. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So, you know, I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, Y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing. Uh, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get $50 off your order.
And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get $50 off your order. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health, and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. If you're like me and you don't want ads interrupting your podcast flow, you can access our episodes ad-free just by becoming a patron. You can also have access to bonus material like episodes being released early, the video footage of me and my guests recording the episode, and a brand new podcast that's offered exclusively to our Patreon subscribers called Breakroom Conversations. Your support will really help us to keep the podcast running smoothly. To learn more, just head on over to our website, goodnursebadnurse.com, and click the link to become a patron. Well, I guess that we can start talking about our good nurse for this week. Yay. Nick. Well, thank I, you. I'm wow. so excited. Yeah, I'm I want to hear all nurse. about. Jeez. Not not that good nurse, but. Well, tell us about <laughs> you first of all before we get into talk about the nurses station. Well, uh, thank you. Tell us a little bit about. Nick. Sure. Okay. Well, I came to nursing later. It was my second career. My first career, I worked in the theater for a very long time, mostly stage, and. As time went on, I mean, I, I had a family and it became more apparent that I needed to do something that was a little more regular because when you're a bachelor, you know, you can afford downtime and all that. And, and I was in a situation where I had, I had twins and I just needed to be sure that I had something I could rely on. There's health insurance, all kinds of things. My mother was a nurse. That's how my parents met. My dad was a police officer in, in the Bronx. I'm from the Bronx in New York. And she was working at Fordham Hospital, which was like the big trauma center in, in, at that, back in the day. And he brought in uh, a patient and that's how they met. And so that's important because my mother urged me to go into nursing. She said, listen, you can do a lot of different things. It's got, there's all kinds of different kinds of nursing. You have some flexibility. You could do probably both the, the artistic stuff and, 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 and work as a nurse. Well, one of the things that I wanted to do was I started working with kids in the South Bronx, bringing theater to them because theater is when used as a tool is a terrific way to teach a lot of different things. For example, we use it for conflict resolution. When you're forming a character, you want to know why a character does what it does. What are their goals? What are they going to do to get what they want? Which is kind of the same things that I think tools that we use as, as people to that guide our, our life and what our careers are going to be. So that's one thing. Another thing we would do is we, we could teach history. We could teach, I did production of 12 Angry Jurors, which used to be 12 Angry Men, that, that classic play. And you learn about how the justice system works. And the kids would learn a, a lot of things without even realizing it, just by going through the steps of, of putting together a play. I found out, though, that doing that kind of work, kids would have problems in their lives. They would, you have to do a lot of self-reflection, as I said. Why does a character want what they want? What is scary to them? What makes them happy? There's, a, there's self-reflection that goes with that. And things would come up with these kids that I was, I was not trained for. So my plan was to go into pediatric psych nursing. 
I had friends who were psych nurses, and and and, so, and and the word was, and I don't know how true this is. You know, if you get into that, after a while, you start to learn, learn, lose your nursing skills. So I wanted to have a really strong nursing background, and I decided I was going to work the floor for a couple of years and get really strong with my skills, and then I was going to go into the psych nursing. I never left the floor, so. I didn't go into the psych nursing, and as as I started to work more and more as a nurse, the the theater stuff kind of went away a little bit. I would work professionally where I could do something, like I would direct or I would choreograph something, because you're in for a little while and you can leave. It's not like you're doing a play and you're running for two weeks. I couldn't do that. You know how it is sometimes getting PTO. Oh, we don't have enough staff. Your PTO is denied. I couldn't. I couldn't depend on that. So those are the kinds of jobs that I would get as a nurse doing the theater thing on the side. Then COVID hit and all the things that really I, I, I wasn't liking about the nursing profession were really becoming apparent. You know, one of the funny things is when I first went into nursing, I thought, oh, well, you know, this is going to be different than working in, in the arts or working in theater. The, there won't be as many egos People will be uh, a little bit more respectful about what we do and all of that. And I was really surprised when that wasn't really the case. So the things that bothered me about nursing really came to a head when COVID hit. We had, you know, issues with supplies, right? Using our N95s over and over again. All the rules that the Joint Commission laid out went out the window. We didn't seem to have at least my perception of it, we didn't have the kind of support because, you know, staffing was down to a minimum going into it. When we got hit with this sort of thing, and this was, I was in in, in a place where all those stories about the freezers outside the hospital, because there's no mm-hmm. room in the morgue was def- was the truth. And, and, and some yeah. people thinking that that was a hoax and made up and I was in it and I was telling them, nope, this is definitely not a hoax. This is something going on. I just felt like we weren't looked out for. We were a, we were sent into patients. If someone was on isolation, we were sent into patient's room. The two, the two areas, the departments that would go into a, a patient's room were the nurses and respiratory. That was it. Doctors weren't going into, into rooms. Housekeeping wasn't going into rooms. I'm like, well, they must think that this is pretty serious if they're protecting certainly the doctors, but the nurses have to go in there and the nurses are going in there with reused equipment and all the time. And a lot of times patients, because they're, they're telling the patients, yeah, you know, if you need anything, just ring. They didn't alter that for this emergency. So there were, I had patients and this is an episode in nurse station where patient doesn't really believe that this is going on and they would just call and they would, and they would get very irate if the, if we wouldn't go in, I would tell the patient, listen, here I am. I'm dressed like an astronaut. I have all this PPE on where we can only really come in here. If it's an emergency, if you have no serious problem, if you, if you want more ice or if you want a cup of coffee, I'll be happy to get that stuff for you. But it's when I have to come in, to give you your meds or something that else that has to be done. I can't just be going in and out. And some people didn't want to hear that. And the hospital didn't back us up. They didn't say to anyone, look, we're in an emergency situation. Please just bear with us. No, none of that. So 
I started to really see that I thought the nurses were really not appreciated the way they should have been. They weren't protected the way they should have been. When we were working a shift, remember this was at the time when we didn't know what it was. So we would change our clothes twice coming out of the hospital and then going at home, we would change our clothes because we didn't know how this thing was spread at the time. Food, we were sequestered at the hospital. We couldn't go out and eat. So, but the, the community sent us food. Did the hospital help us with any of that? No, it was the communities that were great. And it really started to sink in. I'm thinking, you know what? We're not, we're not really taken care of. We're not valued the way I think we should be. Nurses are the most patient. They face patients more than any other part of the hospital. They spend more time with them than the doctors, than any of the technicians, the nurses do. And that was just not valued, I felt. So I came home one day, just wiped out. And my wife said to me, you know, I don't, you don't have to do this. This is really taking its toll on you. The moral injury that was happening was just getting worse and worse all the time. Plus our job, you know, just normally we see all kinds of really, really rough stuff sometimes, right? And after a while it plays on us, but this really made it, really made it bad. So I stepped away from bedside for a while. And while I was doing that, I had written a, written a play about some of these experiences. And a friend of mine in the business said, you know, this would make a really good series. So my idea was to put together a series that we could put out that people would watch that would serve a couple of functions. One, it would tell the public what we really do, what it's really like on our end to be uh, have the administration on us on every little thing, have patients who didn't understand what they were supposed to get in the hospital get angry at us when we had no, mostly no control over any of that. The things that we would see that would be depressing. Just there's a lot of things that the nurses go through. And I wanted the public to know about that. And I think, although there are articles written about it and you know, you, you see some things on the television. I think people really get messages when they don't, when they're not hit over the head with it. Yeah. So my plan was to do an entertaining kind of take on it, but also send a little message about what, what we experienced. So if I can entertain somebody, someone mm -hmm. who wasn't in the profession, and maybe they saw it, they go, the next time they go into a hospital, they go, yeah, you know what, maybe I understand why this isn't happening the way I think it should. Or maybe I understand why I have to wait for or the medicines are not matching up or something like that. Why I need to just, you know, these people are doing doing everything that they can with very little. That was my one of my main things. The other thing was I wanted nurses to have a voice. I wanted to be able to tell, these are all based on true nurses' experiences. So I wanted to tell stories of things that that the the more every not that so much the everyday because everything is pretty extraordinary in a hospital, but the things that we see on a more regular basis. I, not to put down television shows; they're they're meant to entertain, so they get to be very melodramatic. Some of the the scenarios that they you know they pick the most dramatic scenarios. Nurse Jackie, which was a big a big one, you know a. a a decent series 
what's the basic scenario there? Here's a nurse who has a back injury, who's who's addicted to narcotics, and she has to sleep with the pharmacist to keep her narcotics coming. Does that happen? I can't say that doesn't happen, but that's not really representative of what of what the whole picture is. So I wanted to show people that I saw people who were who were who were working hard, doing the best they can, who were dedicated, who got in there, dedicated. Some of them get burnt out. Some of them get they get uh, I guess disappointed with the things that they see. It's not really like what I did. I thought, oh, people are not going to have are not going to be ego driven. This is going to be really caring for people, and that's not always the case. I mean, it can start off that way for a lot of. And a lot, a lot of people can hold on to that, but not everybody does. And why does that happen? How does that get knocked out out of a person? These are the things that I wanted to explore, and that's and that are that's the main goal of the series. I'm hoping I get stories from nurses. We'll have to work that out because, of course, there's legal issues with that. But I would love to tell true nurses' stories, not in a melodramatic way, but in things we actually see all the time. Now the platform is, is YouTube because I mean you have it's, it's easy to get access to. It's easy for me to upload stuff. It's easy for people to watch it. I want to get into more serious stories. I mean, we've talked about some pretty rough stuff. Your podcast has some pretty rough stuff that that's actually happened. I want to get into that. It's it's a little it gets a little tricky at our stage of the game. All our stuff is is true, but I want to get into some of those rougher things. It's hard on YouTube because you can't, they have matrix that they look at rubrics as far as how you can promote stuff. And, and if anything is, they don't want anything that could be remotely offensive to people. It, it, it's difficult in that respect. So I'm hoping the following grows that people will are, are liking it and, and, and want to support it because that's when I can get into more juicier stuff right now. It's although it's all true stories it's all things that I think people should know about. I want to get into all aspects. And some of the things, it shows the great part of nurse, like your podcast. It shows the great part of the professions, and it shows the not-so-great part of the profession. Yeah, and that's exactly. what I want to talk about. What can people expect when they go to watch it? What do you, Can you kind of explain what would they expect to see if they went to look up Nurses Station, the series on YouTube, to watch to just watch it? Two things. The two things that I'm, I, I think are the goals of it. One, you get an insight as to what some of the, the feelings are of the people who are working the front line, working the bedside. Some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. I have one episode where a nurse says, I'm too old for this shit. I want to get, you know, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Which, you know, and when you're overtired and you're really worn down, you can have these kinds of negative thoughts and things. But that's true. These are all things that I had either heard Mm -hmm. or, or, or experienced myself. So some people would get that insight. I'm hoping it's entertaining. You know, we're telling a story in basically five minutes until our budgets can improve. It's kind of what we can all afford. So there's entertainment. So I'm hoping it, people get an insight and I'm hoping people who work the profession, nurses or anyone who works in a hospital from the nurses aides to the doctors even can look at it and go, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it is. That's, that's, what we, that's what we deal with. So those are the two things that I'm hoping people come away with when they, when they watch it. You can go to Google and you can put in Nurses Station Series and you're going to see all the different platforms. Well, we're on YouTube, but also this is produced through City Theater Project, which is a nonprofit. So that's why we're, we're looking for 
corporate funding, foundation funding, because it's nonprofit, any, anything that's donated to help the series is tax deductible. So you will see that if you put a nurse station series, because there is other things called nurse station. I found out after we already started. So it's nurse station series or nurse station, the series, and our show will come up through city theater project spelled with the T R E at the end, not T E R. I tried to be fancy at a time when I didn't know that search engines made spelling can make a difference. <laughs> so it's a T R E theater. I'm hoping that people will watch it and, and come away. I want people who, who aren't in, who do not work in a hospital to hopefully have some insight as to how it works and what, why maybe, you know, we run into problems sometimes. It usually comes down to the usual stuff that we talk about staffing, yeah, being overwhelmed with, with stuff. People who, I mean, look, mm-hmm. there are good people and, and, and not so good people in every profession like your podcast demonstrates. Yeah. You know, that happens, right? But I, but I, in my experience, by far, people are going with good intentions and really want to do a good job. And they really do want to help people as, as corny as that may sound. That's the truth. Well, and I think that there are lots of misunderstandings, I think, that happen and miscommunications that happen just within healthcare, but among healthcare professionals. One of the things that you address in one of your episodes is, you know, young medical residents or doctors who come in and don't realize, you know, that maybe nurses maybe know and understand a little more than they think they do. And that was great to see because it's, that is a problem a lot of times, especially if you work in a teaching institution when you do have, and I think it, you know, it's on both sides. You can have nurses that don't respect the residents because then if you've been a nurse, you know, for a few years, especially working at a large institution, working in an ICU, you learn a lot and you start to, to feel so confident in yourself and your abilities. And you, you see residents come along, just got out of, of medical school and they are scared. They're nervous. They, they have all that knowledge in their head, but they don't quite know how to apply it yet. And so it is, it's actually easy for a nurse to put a resident in their place very quickly. Most of the time, if you're, if you're a seasoned nurse, you can put them in their place very quickly. And, and there's a, I feel like there's a right and a wrong way to do that. So the, the, it goes both ways that respect, I think the residents and, and doctors need to understand that nurses are coming from a place where we are highly educated. We put a lot into our into our profession. We know a lot about the human body. We understand about the physiology of the human body. We understand about these medications. We know a lot more than you may may think that we do, but we understand it from a nursing perspective. It's a different, two completely different professions. So we need doctors to respect our profession, but we also need to respect them as well. And if they, if we can get, have that mutual respect, which I think that that episode does such a great job of illustrating that I think that's important. Yeah. Well, you know, with, with, I try not to demonize anybody or, you know, make anyone a villain. I mean, again, this goes to what we were, what I was teaching the kids in the South Bronx. Why do people think the way they think or why do they, why do they act the way they act? There's always a motivation. There's always a reason behind it. I don't want to make anyone in the, uh, wrong in the series. There's reasons why people act the way they act. Uh, you know, sometimes in any profession we're out or when we're out in public, we're wearing a, a kind of a mask as to how we are in this particular story. You know, this doctor is, is, 
he feels he needs to put on a, a strong face and he feels like he needs to look like he knows everything, even when right. he doesn't, because he feels that's how people were going to respect him. And nurses, I hate to use the word client because client, you know, that's where it's in across the board in, in, in business, but nurses are the most client facing of all the departments in a hospital. So they're going to learn stuff. They're going to know something that goes way beyond the book. And, and you can only get, if you are in front of patients as much as nurses are, that they can read things that, that, that you're not going to get from studying. You have to live it. You have to experience it. And that's where the nursing, the value of nurses comes in. And that's where I think that they really ought to be valued way more than they are because you can't, you can't quantify a lot of that. It's not like someone can show a piece of paper and say, yeah, I know this. Here are people coming in off the of medical school. Like you said, the interns, they got the piece of paper that shows all the time they put into their school. And that's great. I mean, that's very, very important too. But a lot of nurses who've worked 20 years, they don't have something necessarily that shows, hey, look, I know when a person is coding or go about mm -hmm. to code. I can tell when it's going to happen before it does. And there's nothing that you can read about that's going to let you know that you have to, it's a sense that you develop over time or through your experiences and things that you see. And that's where the value of nurses is, is really underrated, I think. And I'm hoping that, you know, my little, my little endeavor kind of helps with that. And, you know, I think, I think it's important for the public to know, and that's how things start to change. I think when you slip it in, it's, it has more of an impact sometimes than if you hit people over yeah. the head with it. Cause I agree. You know? so I definitely that's, that's, agree. That's the goal. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping people come away with. Yeah. That's one of the things I said about this podcast is I kind of, you know, we sneak in the, we do true crime story, make things, you know, sure. I've always said oh, so yeah. much better to teach. Anytime I teach someone or teach a class or an, anywhere, I'm a, I would like to use stories to illustrate things and you kind of pull them in with a story and then you kind of, you slip in little opportunities to educate about things that are important. Right. No, absolutely. And I'm hoping, yeah, I think that's, well, that's what's so great about your podcast because it doesn't, you know, it balances it out. It's not just, a sh you know, talking about the, 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 the bad things because, because nothing is, it, it's never, I mean, in my book anyway, it's never all just black or all white. There's always great. There's always a crossover, you know, and, and it's, I think important to take that into consideration I'm hoping people do that when they come into the hospital and you see a nurse come in. I mean, there's an episode. I have to refer to nurse's station because it lets, that's my outlet. There's an episode where a person, a nurse comes in and she's just, she just put a patient in a body bag, a patient that she had a rapport with. And the, and the, and the, and the, and the, the patient's like, well, what's the matter with you? You know, why are you so grumpy? Why are you got that puss on your face? Well, because, oh, here's my, because this is not a hotel. We really, we deal with all kinds of life and death things. And sometimes not everyone's going to be cheery as though, although we want to be, I don't know anyone really. I haven't worked with people who, who didn't care about taking care of their patients. They really do want to take care of their patients, but there's so much other stuff going on that, that they don't, that they're not presented with that information and, and, and people who don't know any better will have a certain reaction to it. I'm hoping this kind of makes them think more. Yeah. And I hope it's successful and I hope you guys will go and look it up and subscribe 
to the series. Well, thank you. I mean, and yeah, that would be great. I hope you'll come back on the show too in the future. I, I would love, love to come back. I, like yeah. I said, this is so great for me because I listen to your podcast. And so for you to actually invite me on, is like, oh, wow, this is like, this is way better than I could possibly hope. That's awesome. So they, thank it's you. It's been awesome to get to meet you. Yeah. I love your series. Thank you. You're, so you're just a new friend of the uh, new guest host, regular, hopefully. Yes, guest host. I would I'll, love that. Please. We'll have to. Yeah, absolutely. And by that time, I'll have even more stories. We'll have things further along yeah. and we can we Can, can people submit ideas to you? Is there somewhere that they can reach out to you? If you go to the YouTube channel, there's a thing that, that, that there's a tab that shows you all the different places you can reach us. So we have a website through City Theater Project. If you go down, just click that on. It'll there's a play, way you can contact us. You can email us, and, and okay, and we can definitely do that. Then we'd have to talk because you know there's all. I, I try to pay people as best we can. I don't want conflicting ideas. It gets a little a little complicated, but I would love to hear from people for sure. Yes. Yeah. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. And you guys know, obviously, I love hearing from you. You can email me at tina at goodnursebanners.com. You can find us at our website at goodnursebanners.com. And we're on social media at, you know, goodnursebanners. What else? And also, I have to remind you before we go, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.